Thank you for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we are focusing on finding true happiness through knowing and doing from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Today, as we come to chapter 13 in John's Gospel, we are thinking about finding happiness. Finding happiness is a universal quest and, at least many people think, not only a worthy quest, but also a noble one. People search persistently, even desperately, for it. Many people agonize over their lack of happiness and their search for it. Some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, how do you connect the dots in this section to see the truth about finding happiness? Isn't Jesus talking about humility and service? Yes, Jesus teaches us about humility and service here. Jesus washing his disciples' feet on the eve of the Passover and his arrest is the subject of this section. But there is more here, and it is often missed. Paul Harvey broadcasted the news and his views on the radio for over 50 years. One of his key features was what he called the rest of the story, in which he brought out news that you might not hear from other news services, or he filled in details about events or people you didn't find elsewhere. It was a different perspective. It was the rest of the story. Today we are going to look at the rest of the story in this section. As chapter 12 closed, John's account of Jesus' public ministry also closed. Now in chapters 13 through 17, we find Jesus privately teaching his disciples as he prepared them for the supreme test they would face shortly when he would be arrested and crucified. Specifically, in this section, all of Jesus' teaching about humility, service, who he is, who his disciples are, flows from one key point. The key point Jesus makes here to help prepare them is found in verse 17. In the New American Standard Version, it reads, Jesus telling his disciples, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. The Good News Translation gives the sense of his words. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. This verse is the rest of the story. The truth that Jesus' disciples, believers, find happiness through knowing and doing. That is what we will focus on today. We start with the importance of combining knowing and doing. Let's go back to the key verse, verse 17, in the New American Standard Bible. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's look at the verse by focusing on three words. First, know. If you know these things. 
The form of the question used here assumes a positive answer to the if question. That is, if you know these things, and you do, we can accurately and more concisely translate it, since you know these things. What was it Jesus said the disciples knew? Just before this statement, his teaching by action as well as in words was about humility and serving each other, about believers having been bathed or cleansed of sin, are completely clean, and that the disciples were clean, but not all of them, referring to Judas. About he is their teacher and Lord. But his statement is not only about what he had just been teaching, but all of his teaching to them while he was with them. Now let's turn to the word know itself for a moment. He is speaking about more than hearing, being aware of the truth he gives. We see this in a sharp contrast back in chapter 12 at verse 47. If anyone hears my teaching and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teaching has one who judges him. The word which I spoke, that will judge him on the last day. It includes hearing and then also accepting and keeping his word. Jesus stated this repeatedly. We go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, where he made the point in an extensive statement with respect to being in the kingdom, to being saved. A very concise statement of that is found in Mark chapter 3, when he said, Whoever does the will of God, this is my brother and sister and mother. Here the message is to believers, and is similar to what we find in James chapter 1. Prove yourselves doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. Jesus told his disciples, He is telling us, You know these things are objective, authoritative truth from God. Jesus' message to them and to us is to accept, to know what he taught is objective truth. Then in the same way, to know and accept God's objective truth in all of the Bible. One critical, indispensable link to finding true happiness is knowing the truth of God in the Bible. The second word, do. If you do them. Once we learn and accept or know God's truth, then we must combine doing it with that knowledge, 
live that truth consistently, continually. God's children find happiness through knowing and doing. The analogy is far from perfect, but if you are going to make a traditional family casserole, you need to start with knowing, having your grandmother's recipe. But you don't get to enjoy the casserole by knowing the recipe backwards and forwards. You have to get the ingredients and make it. You have to do it. We understand that there are things we know that are good and true, which we also find difficult to do, don't want to do, or even refuse to do. One woman wrote about her difficulty in getting routine but necessary chores done. She tells us, My inner brat is too busy complaining about the boring drudgery and finding excuses to procrastinate. For example, it's time to vacuum. My inner brat answers, no, I don't want to. I say, but look at this place, it's a mess. My inner brat then says, first I have to check my email. I say, okay, hurry up and check your email, then get out the vacuum cleaner. Three hours later and it's almost midnight. My inner brat says, it's much too late to start cleaning now. I say, I suppose, but tomorrow, for sure. And so it often goes, in both unimportant and important things. God puts this in context for believers through the words from the Apostle James, which I read just a bit earlier. We are to prove to be doers of the word and not delude ourselves. Later in chapter 4 of that same letter, he applies it even more directly. One who knows the right thing to do, and it does not do it, for him it is sin. We need to combine knowing and doing. One writer tells us the scriptures are not given for our information, but for our transformation. The transformation comes from God as we combine knowing and doing. The final word, blessed. You are blessed if you do them. When we looked at the Sermon on the Mount two years ago, and in particular at the Beatitudes or Blesseds, we noted the basic, literal meaning of that word is happy. Happy, truly happy are the poor in spirit, those who mourn over their sin, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Happiness describes the condition of well-being in your feelings about yourself, others, your place in life, the big questions of life, and with what you have. There are just two kinds of happiness. The real thing, that is the condition of well-being which comes only from God and permeates all areas and circumstances, and then all the others, 
all the incomplete varieties, all the imitations of the real thing which come from our own efforts. The real thing is God's gift to his people as we combine knowing and doing his truth. A sense of well-being in bad and difficult times as well as good and easy times. Remember what God tells us through the Apostle Paul. His peace goes way beyond what we can comprehend as it guards our hearts and minds. Paul went on to write, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice or keep doing these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It is critically important to know and do to be truly happy. With this foundation, we can move on to things which we need to know and do. This section highlights three of them. First is the correct relationship with Jesus. We'll look at this from the vantage point of two questions. Question number one. What is Jesus to me? Jesus speaks to this in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. These two are, of course, not the sum total of who Jesus is to us. He also is God, Savior, Shepherd, Protector, Friend, Brother, and more. Jesus is, and we should allow him to be our teacher and Lord pointing the way, instructing us, directing with authority, the one in control. So it is not, Jesus is my teacher and Lord, but that is an ideal, or a goal for the future, not now, or is just in areas and ways which I choose. Many people who believe in Jesus who are saved, or claim to be saved, have that kind of thinking. People such as one woman who was on a TV program about having affairs with someone who is married. This woman had a long-term affair with a married man. Another person raised the question of morality, suggesting this was not right in God's eyes. The woman shot back, Wait a minute! I'm a Christian! But my personal life and my religion don't have anything to do with each other. God wants me to be happy. And if I am happy with this man, God doesn't mind. We can shake our heads in disbelief. But while the specifics may be different and less serious in our minds, this woman is hardly unique in her attitude in how she really answered the question, what is Jesus to me? Be very clear on this. True happiness from God is a gift he gives to believers on his terms, not ours. What is Jesus to me? He is and must be my teacher and Lord for me to have the correct relationship with him, to live with his happiness. Now the second question. Who am I in relationship to Jesus? 
Let's go back to verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord, and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. Notice three things that we are to be in relationship to Jesus in these verses. Students, learning from him. Subjects, underneath his authority. Servants, serving him, doing his work. There is one more in this section. Drop down to verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus says several things here, including telling us that in relationship to him, we are his ambassadors. He sends us out to represent him to everyone we know, to everyone we meet. Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are ambassadors for Christ. And again in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, I am an ambassador in chains. I am an ambassador for Christ even as I am a prisoner. Once again, move from knowing this as a fact to doing it. Am I today really living as Jesus' student, subject, servant, and ambassador with the good news of the gospel? To have true happiness from God, we need to have the correct relationship with Jesus day to day. We need to be living out the reality of what we know. The second thing we need to know and do is having the correct remedy for sin. Sin is serious. It separates us from God now and forever if we have not dealt with it through Jesus. As believers, it limits and strains our fellowship with God and others unless and until we confess and turn from it. Some Christians do not see their own sin accurately. Some are casual. Well, no one is perfect. God understands that I am weak in this. No one's getting hurt. Others are hounded by sin they have confessed. They only see their sin and imperfection. They see themselves as failures and even frauds, not as fully forgiven in Christ. What is the correct remedy for sin that is to be lived out? Let's pick it up at verse 5. Then he, Jesus, poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet. Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, 
never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, otherwise he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Peter didn't really understand this at first. If I had been in his place, I don't think I would have either. We need some background to get the full picture. Customs of the day for going to a dinner at a friend's home included first bathing at your own home. But dirty roads and open sandals resulted in dirty feet by the time you got to your friend's place. So the host would have a servant greet you and wash your feet. Here, Jesus and his disciples met in a rented room. There was no host, no servant, nor was there a volunteer from among the disciples to take the servant's role to wash their feet. Jesus uses this to demonstrate truth about service. But with Peter's confession, he also teaches about sin. All of them, except Judas, were clean, completely clean. Their sins were washed away. They had eternal life. They were children of God. Nothing, including the dirt of traveling down the streets of this world, of failures and sins, could or would change that. Then Jesus takes what they knew physically about arriving at the host's place and makes the spiritual application that one needs only to wash his feet. They needed to recognize, we need to recognize, that when we sin, we are to confess and turn from that sin, to get on track again and move forward with God. In his first letter, John tells us that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This certain truth is grounded in the cross and our salvation. There is no reason to be a guilt-ridden, unhappy Christian if everything is squared away with God and others any more than there is any valid reason for taking sin lightly. This is the correct remedy for sin, which we need to know and do to have true happiness. The third thing we find here that we need to know and do is having the correct attitude toward service. Let's look at Jesus' action and example again. Review what he did. Verse 4. Jesus got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. Don't miss what was on his mind at this time. Go back to verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, 
he loved them to the end. And during supper the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God, and was going back to God. Yes, he is Teacher, Lord, Eternal God, the Son. He had thoughts and the weight of completing his mission by dying for our sins on his mind, of what it would be like to be made sin for us. And yet, he continued to live out what he knew, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. His attitude and action toward service is to be ours. Drop down to verse 14. So if I, the Lord and the Teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. To be truly happy, I must have the correct attitude toward service. Never consider service for God as a burdensome cross I have to bear. Never see serving God as an opportunity to showcase my talents, to demonstrate I can do it better than someone else, to gain a sense of accomplishment, to achieve acceptance and praise. Rather, see serving God as an opportunity to bring glory to Him to walk in the path of good works which God has prepared beforehand for you, to serve and meet the needs of others, to fulfill my calling, and yes, to someday receive the well-done, good and faithful servant blessing from God. Believers find happiness through knowing and doing. This is what Jesus tells us here about finding happiness. This truth runs contrary to our fallen, sinful nature's view. But remember, God is at work within you to change your heart, to restore you to his original design. In a remote Swiss village, there is a beautiful church. It is not huge but it has high pillars, magnificent stained-glass windows, and a marvelous pipe organ. People came from miles away to look at the church, to spend time there, and to listen to the organ. But then they had a problem. Something went wrong with the organ. They brought in experts from the area, with no success. Then more experts from far away. None of them could restore the harmony and beauty of the sound. One day an old man showed up and offered to take a look at the organ. Reluctantly, they let him try, thinking, what do we have to lose? There was almost total silence from the church and organ for the next two days. Finally, at noon on the third day, there was glorious music coming from the organ. Everyone stopped, dropped what they were doing, and ran to the church. 
After the old man finished playing, someone blurted out, How could you have fixed it when all the experts couldn't? Quietly he answered, It was I who built this organ fifty years ago. I created it, and now I have restored it. That's what God wants to do for you. It all starts with God bringing forgiveness of your sins and everlasting life when you place your trust in Jesus. For all who have done this, God continues his work here and now with giving you a state of well-being, regardless of what is going on within or without, giving you true happiness as you know and do his truth. And God will complete that work in heaven when you see Jesus face to face. Let God who made you, who transformed you in Christ, continue to shape and refine you, bringing you happiness along the way. Thank God for his love, grace, for his happiness. Straighten out anything that is not as it should be between you and God, anything the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind today. Ask and count on God to change your heart, your thinking, your way of living to bring glory to Him and a deep, ongoing sense of well-being to yourself. Bow with me in prayer. God, our loving and merciful Father, thank you for your marvelous, amazing grace that reached down to us, recreated us in Christ when we placed our faith in him, and continues to work in us today. Forgive us for the times and ways when we have tried to be happy through our own efforts and ways, not relying on your work and way. Thank you that true happiness, having true well-being, is your gracious gift. We seek and accept your ongoing work to keep transforming us to be like Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.